0: Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Found it. Okay. Guys, it's such a pleasure for me to be sharing with you tonight. My name is Cornell. I'm not a pastor, I'm a mere member I'm in this church. Me and my wife have been members here since the Santon inception, which was like two years ago, I think, just over two years ago. And um, I just want to say, I completely forgot to say that. Today, two years ago, was the first <laughs> <sent in> <laughs> service. <laughs> completely forgot about that. That is worth celebrating. I'm sorry. <laughs> and we'll do, we'll do it properly at another stage. There is something else planned, um, but it was on my list. And, sorry? First of September, there's something coming. Okay, but it is t- exactly two years since the first sentences. service, so well done for being here, and uh, whether you joined in what part of the two-year journey, um, here we go. <laughs> cool. So exactly two years, and um, <laughs> I just want to say to the people who are, who are new tonight, and even the people who are here, and maybe you've been coming for a while, but you haven't um, met so many people yet. To me and my wife, this church and this community has seriously been probably one of the biggest blessings and has shaped so much of our experience of Johannesburg. And our prayer and our hope is that for you, it'll be the same, that you will make godly friends, that you will slot into, a god. if this is the place where you choose to worship, that you will slot into a godly community and with us, that you will learn about and become more like Jesus. So you're know, welcome to you guys. Tonight, we're going to look at a piece of scripture. As we do in sermons. And that piece of scripture is in Luke. So, who here knows that people often marveled at Jesus, right? They marveled at the things that he did, the signs and the wonders and the miracles and the works. And they marveled at the things that he said, because Jesus wasn't afraid to speak the truth. And sometimes that truth offended people. And people marveled at the way that he taught. And Jesus also marveled at people. Um, He sometimes marveled at the unbelief of his disciples, but there's one place where he marveled at the faith of another person. And who can tell me where that is? I hear whispers. I don't know. Is someone bold enough to maybe? Yes, um, Daniela and Stefan? The centurion. Good. The faith of the centurion or the healing of the centurion's servant. So tonight we're going to look at this account of um, the faith of the centurion, which is, this, it's captured in two parts or two places in the Bible, Matthew and Luke, and we're going to look at the one in Luke. So if you have a, your Bibles with you, please page with me to Luke 7 or look up on the screen. Technology. And we're going to read together. Okay. Now, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he, that was Jesus, entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die, so when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders to the Jew, of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came, Jesus when they came to Jesus, they begged them earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our people and is built as a synagogue. That's what they said to Jesus, that this was who the centurion was. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, Do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. so who here wants Jesus to marvel at your faith? all of us right good, I hope so, otherwise we'll have a chat later but but we want that right we want and here's a, a situation where Jesus actually he's he's going to to help this guy, and on the way. He he sends friends to him who says, Lord, I'm not worthy. I understand natural authority. And my understanding of natural authority helps me to understand spiritual authority. You don't even need to come to me. You can heal my, my servant with your word. And Jesus turns around and says to Israelites who were the people who had the laws of God, who you know, who were the, the people who were supposed to have the revelation of God, I've not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And this guy was a Roman a Gentile, right? So that's that's quite a statement, and tonight we're going to have a bit of a look at who this centurion was. We're going to look at three aspects of him, the heart of the centurion, um, the the acts of the centurion, and then also the faith of the centurion. But before we get to that, I just maybe want to give a bit of context here. So some of you might know that in Jesus's time, Um, Israel was under the rule of Rome. Rome had come and conquered Jerusalem, and they'd kind of set up like a satellite state. We also read in the Bible of a guy called Herod, who was the king of the satellite state, and he was the ruler of the area, but he was still under submission um, to Caesar. Everything that he did had to be okayed by Caesar. And Rome also had all these agents that it put all over the place to enforce they rule like this centurion, right? Who was a soldier in the Roman army, who had a hundred guys under him, who he commanded and made sure that everything went according to the will of Rome in Israel, and the Jews really didn't like that. Okay, we we see another account in the Bible where the Jews come to Jesus and they say to him, Lord sh- or r- teacher, Rabbi, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And we read that, and we're like man, this is an answer, conviction, should I pay e-tolls, you know, like, but it's actually a very politically loaded statement, because the tax they were talking about was a tax that you paid for the honor, and I put honor in inverted commas, of being ruled by Rome, so if you were a state of Rome, you had to pay it for the honor of being ruled by Caesar, and we know from the New Testament that tax collectors were not The favorite people of the jews right jesus often got accused for eating with sinners and tax collectors and the jews even believed that the messiah when he was going to come he would be a ruling and a reigning messiah he would come and liberate them from roman rule he would come and set them free so that they can again have their own state their own leaders and do things their own way so you can imagine the political tension right that existed between the romans and the jews and it's in that context that we see a centurion, a Roman soldier, of who the Jews says this man loves our people, right? Um, so who was this guy? Well, let's look. start by looking at his heart. Now, this piece of scripture tells us a few things about the heart of the centurion, what was in his heart. The very first thing is right at the start, where it tells us he had a servant who was very dear to him, right? And that in itself is something to consider, because in those days, um, you had the slave system where households had servants um, who did not have the same status as the people who ran the households. I read somewhere this week, you know, um, I read uh, in a lot of places that there was a lot of mi- maltreating of slaves, or it was common for people to mistreat slaves because they were seen as kind of assets or commodities in the household. But it was even acceptable for Romans to kill their slaves when they, didn't, when they weren't useful to them anymore. So, I mean, you can imagine there was a bit of a status difference between slaves and, and, and people who, who ran households. And yet, here we see a guy where it says he had a servant that was dear to him, a guy who didn't use his authority to oppress those who were under him, but to serve them and to help them instead. Later, we also read that the Jews say of the Roman centurion that... Um, he was someone who loved their people, right? And we can easily read past that and be like, miss the point of that. But I, I just want to pause there for a moment um, and, and, and want you to think about that in, in this context. I I was thinking about how, you know, <laughs> a similar situation that can help to illustrate this. And the one that came to my mind first was something like apartheid, something closer to home, right? Where you've also got a minority using oppressive authority over majority to keep control over them and um, a story which came to my mind was that of our global leader and his family Heinrich Titus his father's name I've got no idea what his father's name is but I know him as Um Titus and I've always referred to him and heard him refer to him as Um Titus so I'm just going to call him Um Titus in, in in this context but he grew up on a on a farm on a grape farm I think it was in the western cape in the 1940s and 50s and um on those farms, they had this system called the Doppelstel, or so the tot system, right? Where it was pra- common practice to pay your farm workers partially, at least, in alcohol, um, and you can imagine the type of social problems that that caused within the farm worker communities, generational dependency and bondage that kept people from coming out of that place of poverty and allowed the f- you know the people in control to 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 maintain control over over those communities of people. And um, Titus grew up in a community like this, but the farmer um, of the farm that he lived on got saved. He gave his heart to Jesus. And he saw what was happening in these communities, and he decided he had to do something differently. So the first thing he did was he stopped farming grapes. He started planting apples in the area that he was. No one did that. They thought he was crazy. But he decided he had to do that, and with that he stopped enforcing um, the, tots, the tot system on, I- on his farm. And, um, with that, he also started, um, you know, bringing, the, I don't know how to say, like bringing the kingdom or, or, or preaching, not preaching the gospel, opening doors for the gospel to be preached in his community. He started, I think it was a mission station on his farm and missionaries would come and they would preach the gospel to the surrounding area. And at one of these outreaches, uh, when Titus gave his heart to the Lord and, um, Wim um, Titus was at school that time due to financial reasons. He had to drop out and he, um, he started working part time and then also studying through the post. Eventually, finished matric. And this farmer, whose name was Corbus LaRue, was helping Wim um, Titus along the way. And eventually, he went on to go to university to study theology um, and started serving at communities all over the country. And if you've ever met Wim um, Titus and you've heard his stories, you would know that God used that man mightily um, in the communities that he was involved. And except for that, he's got a legacy. Like, I don't know all of his children, but I know Gunter and Heinrich. Heinrich was pastor here for a few years uh, a while back in Johannesburg, and now he's the the leader of of the show for movement globally. I mean, an amazing man of God, humble, awesome, awesome leader. If you can spend time with him or listen to him, um, I would really encourage you to do that. God has really um, anointed him. And You know, all of that was possible through the grace of God, working in that former Corbus Luru, to go completely against the grain of his culture and to start doing things differently, right? And that's kind of what I see when I read about this Roman centurion, right? A man who chooses to use his authority not to oppress, even though it is an authority that is there to oppress to a certain extent, but to serve those under him. And we also see that in his acts. The second part of what the Jews actually say to Jesus, they say this man is deserving because he loves our people and he built us a synagogue. So we see that the the centurion used his financial resources to further the kingdom. He built a place of worship um, for the Jews and he used the resources that were available to him um, to bring the kingdom in his area. It doesn't tell us too much about what the centurion himself believed, but we can deduce that he probably understood Um, The religion of the Jews, he might have attended that that synagogue himself, and that he probably feared God because he recognized the authority on Jesus's life. And it also tells us that he used his influence um, to help his servant, right, right at the start. Now, I read a book. This is the book. You can see how thick it is, and you can see where I am, so I haven't read much of it. My wife always accuses me of starting books and not finishing them. I think I've been reading this for about seven months. So <laughs> it's true. But what I do is there are certain things which stick with me. And one thing that I read in this book, it's a book by Leo Tolstoy called War and Peace. There's a quote in here that really stuck with me. And the, the scene is like, there's this party in Moscow and high society has come together and they're having a party. And it, there's lots of these kind of high profile people. They're politicking and they're um you know, vying for position, and this one is trying to be see w- seen with that one, but there 's this one widow who has a son right, and this widow 's family has lost everything, so she 's desperate and she goes to this one general and she 's like, "You have to help me right because my son needs to have an open door to a position in the military, otherwise he 's not going to amount to anything and at first he doesn 't want to help her, but she persists, and eventually he gives in um, and he decides to help her but Tolstoy's got this quote in here that really stuck with me. He says, "Influence in the world is a capital which has to be used with economy if it is to last." This guy, his name is Prince Vasili, knew this, and having once realized that if you were to ask favors for everybody who who petitioned him, he would soon be able not be able to ask anything for himself. Right? What that basically means is that influence with people is something that you should use sparingly if you want it to last. Because you can't just continue using it. It's going to run out. People are going to stop listening to you. And the centurion probably knew that. I mean, think about the context that he was in, right? The political tension between him and the Jews. His influence with the Jewish leaders was a limited resource. But how does he choose to use it? He doesn't choose to use it to get favor for himself. He chooses to use it to help his servant who cannot use himself. And how different is that from what we sometimes see play out in the world, right, where the The idea is that I want to use my resources to get the favor of those above me so that they can pull me up. And sometimes we see people at the bottom exploited um, for that to be able to happen. And then finally, the, the faith of the centurion. So, um, it also, okay, f- firstly, when the centurion comes to Jesus, he doesn't come to him in kind of pomp and with uh, attitude or with arrogance, he comes humbly, right? The Jews come and they say, Lord, this man is deserving that you that you help him because he loves our people and he has built us a synagogue. But when Jesus comes closer to his house, he sends friends to him and through the friends says to Jesus, Jesus, I'm not deserving. So they say he is worthy. He himself says he's not worthy, right? And I mean, even in this Uh, The centurion was was a Roman, which means he probably had, like, status in society that put him above or that a lot of people would have considered put him above Jews. Uh, Being a Roman citizen was something of, like, prestige in those days. So we read somewhere in Acts 22 about Paul, who was about to get beaten by a Roman guard, and he says to one of the people that's kind of taking him away, I'm a Roman citizen. And suddenly they're like, whoa, hands off, because there is consequences to beating a Roman citizen and he after that he even does this thing which Roman citizens could do and I don't know the exact history around this and would be able to help us better on that but he appeals to Caesar all right his case is being heard and he says I appeal to the highest authority within the empire I appeal to Caesar to hear my case um, because I don't know he wa- he felt that it had to get escalated to that level. He appealed to the highest authority to hear his case and to give a judgment on um, what was happening to him. So they had this status within society, right? But when the centurion comes to Jesus, he doesn't access his status. He doesn't come with an attitude of entitlement. He comes with one of humility. And I think that was by grace, completely, right? Because he comes and he says lord i 'm not deserve i 'm not even worthy that you come under my house uh, under my roof, and he recognizes the authority that 's on jesus life. I believe his humility was part of what allowed him to recognize jesus 's authority and also what allowed him to recognize jesus 's position as the son of God and then he says this amazing thing he says i 'm someone who understands natural authority i 've got people under me who I can say to." go here, go there, do this, and they do it. But, I, but you, by implication, therefore you can give the word and my servant will be healed. You have got ultimate authority. My authority is limited to the natural realm and the people under me, but you have got an authority that stretches past those natural limitations. And what he was able to do is to recognize that even though his authority had limits, he could appeal to the authority of Jesus that had no limits, right? He didn't put, he knew that he couldn't help his servant um, with the resources that he had, but he, in humility, goes to Jesus and asks him um, to help, to come, and to use his authority to heal his servant. And I just want to maybe pause here and digress a little bit. What the centurion did was he placed his faith not in his own ability but in that of jesus and he appealed to jesus to use his authority to help him and nowadays and this is really not to knock anybody but in the in the past while i've i've heard a few times faith spoken of as something which is kind of like based on our ability to believe so your faith or the faith that you have is your is how hard or how well you can believe that something will happen. And if you believe hard enough or if you have enough belief, it will be as you want it to be, right? And I guess the little bit of the scary thing is I don't just hear that in the church or some parts of the church. I also hear it in the world. It just has a different label, right, like the power of positive thinking or a lot of the what self-help says, if you believe enough, you can achieve anything that you want. I was at a at a seminar um, a while back that we went to for work, and there was a guy, and he basically said, the reason why I'm not earning like a million rand a month is because my mind isn't there yet. Like, I'm not on that level of thinking yet, you know. I just need to think um, that that is who I am, or that is I need to start living like that, and circumstances around me will start shaping themselves to get me there right um, and obviously the the opposite to that, which is not so often talked about, is then if that doesn't happen, if i do not um, if i'm not able to conjure up the faith to to get to that it's on me right it's my inability to believe i didn't believe enough i didn't have the right mindset i couldn't get to that level of faith to get that thing which I desired. And I just want to contrast that to what the centurion does, because he recognizes that he cannot help his servant, right? And then he appeals to Jesus. He recognizes that his authority cannot go there, but he doesn't put his trust in his own ability, or even in his position to get help for his servant, but appeals to Jesus to come and help. And I just want to share a bit of a story about how I had to, or had to come to a place of repentance around all of this. Um, About three years ago, I joined a development program at our work. It was like a leadership development program. That's why I came Johannesburg and when we joined this program immediately within the first week of being on it we got exposed to the top tier management in the organization I was in which were which was very influential men and women um, in South Africa and the narrative that got told to us at least was that if you impress within this environment if you impress in this sphere um, these people can pull you up right the doors will open for promotions I mean it wasn't communicated on uh, by letter but the idea was there that if you perform well you will get promoted you will get into management positions and like the sky's the limit you know just impress here and I kind of bought into that Um, I started working very hard I started taking my work very seriously and I started putting in a lot of extra hours to make sure that my work was of a standard and that when people look at it they wouldn't they would be impressed by it, um, and sometimes I did that um, in a way which made my work the ultimate thing, not just a good thing. So I would work, or I would get so passionate about my work that I would kind of forget about the relationships of people around me, and I started neglecting them. Sometimes I was pretty mean to people, um, you know in my working environment, because I so badly wanted um, to impress my managers and the people above me so that they would give me good performance ratings. And I remember um, there was one specific project that we were working on. It was at one of the biggest construction sites in South Africa. And we were brought in to speed up construction on a certain part um, of the site, of this project. And um, we got there and we were running this meeting as a team with the subcontractors trying to get everyone to work together. And I just realized this meeting is not going to work at all right so within like three days of being there i go to my manager and in front of our whole team i tell him look this is not working and we need to change the way that we're doing this and he didn't like that at all and he got um worked up and i got worked up and we had a little bit of a screaming match in front of in front of a team and i'm like a junior guy um right but i'm telling him that we should change the way that, that we run this project, otherwise we're not going to have the impact that we need to make a difference. And um, From that point, I mean, my relationship with him wasn't very good, and when it eventually became time for, or got time for me to have my performance review, um, they phoned this guy. So I had done a lot of projects and I'd gotten very good consistent ratings across all of my work, but because they phoned this guy, I don't think he gave me a very good rating. right? Um, And I ended up not getting my promotion. I ended up not getting the promotion that we were promised. And I was like broken by this. I felt done in. I felt that I had been treated unfairly. I felt I had worked just as hard (laughs) as my colleagues who did get the promotion. I I felt it was completely unfair. And I became very negative about my work and about the working environment. And it's amazing how God still speaks to us in those moments. one week, specifically, he was really hammering on faith and putting my faith in him and not in the circumstances around me. And I had to go to IT to get one of those little 3G dongles. So I go down to IT, and I'm like, um, Hi, I'm here for my 3G dongle. Here's my employee number. And the lady's like, Oh, here you go. You're Faith Fuster. And I'm like, No, I'm Cornell there." And then she says, That's strange because your middle name on the system is Faith. And <laughs> I'm like... I just, like, I said, oh, okay, thank you. And then I went around the corner. I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I need to have faith. Um, and it was, it was a bit of a journey in that time um, for me to take my eyes off of my natural circumstances. And one day I was driving back from a mine in Mumpumulanga, and I was listening to um, the audiobook of A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God. And he spoke about it a while back. He said that's a book we should read every year. That's true, but it's also one of those books that after you've read a page, you have to stop because you've got to go repent and call your mom and say sorry, and, you know, it really, like, hits you, Um, and there's this one chapter that he has on meekness, and he says in there that meekness is believing what God thinks about you and caring more about that than what people think about you, and in that moment, in that car, it just, like, it hit me, right? Right? And I realized that I had been performing or trying to perform so hard to get the favor of the people above me because I thought they were the ones who were going to get me promoted, that I had stopped being who God wanted me to be in my working environment or who, who, who he had made me to be. And um, I remember just repenting and saying, God, I'm sorry, I, I, I need your help in this. I, I realize I've messed up, but please help me. And uh, disclaimer, like I'm not perfect at this yet at all right but there's something that that changed in my heart concerning my work that day and i, I just became like a bit of a nicer person at work right i became a little bit more likable i stopped working so hard which was great more normal hours um, going home at five and the strange thing is with within five months i was flagged for promotion um, and it wasn't because i was working extremely hard i, I honestly think it was just because people like me more Um, but I, I learned something valuable in the time and at the end, I ended up never getting my promotion because they froze promotions across the the company and, um, you know, there was a lot of issues around that, but that was unimportant for me. I learned a very valuable lesson in that time. And that is that when we trust in God, he makes things work out for our good, right? Whether we see that in the now or not but he is trustworthy and he is faithful. And it's better to trust in him (laughs) because he also, he knows who he made us to be. He made us for a purpose here on earth. And there's a lot of things in life that try to distract us and get us away from that. But if we want to be truly free, we have to trust him. And, you know, uh, maybe the ushers can get the communion so long. But we're going to have communion tonight. And you know the truth is that all of us have authority, and all of us have been given gifts and influence and responsibilities in life by God and we 've got natural authority, some of us are in positions of leadership, and we've got people under us, and all of us have spiritual authority. Jesus, when he left um, Earth when he went to heaven, he gave us this commission, he said, "Go out, make disciples of all the nations teaching them all that i that I taught you to do." baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, the authority that I have goes with you to do this. You are my delegated authority to see my kingdom come in the earth. And we can choose how we want to use our natural and our spiritual authority, right? We need to choose how to do that, and we need wisdom for that. We need to ask God to give us wisdom for that. And the Bible tells us that Wisdom, the beginning of wisdom, is the fear of God. We need to learn the fear of God so that we can do that in a way that glorifies Him. And in the centurion, we see like a glimpse of that, right? We see a, a man who's got a servant who's helpless, okay? The servant cannot help himself. He's got the authority essentially over life and death for, of that servant, um, but he chooses to use that authority not to oppress, not to kill, but to bring life. And to get that servant to the one who can heal him. Right? Now, does, does that sound familiar to you at all? Because Jesus left his authority in heaven, right? And he came to earth not to serve, but to be served. So that me, and eventually he humbled himself even to the place of death on a cross. So that me and you can be reconciled to the Father who can heal us. See, we are the servant, and Jesus is the loving master. And um you guys can you can hand out the communion. And I actually think the band can also come up to me so you guys can. And you know what the beautiful thing is, is Jesus. One for us, on the cross, the ability to be called children of God. Now, it's just like Roman citizens. They had this status in society, and because you were a Roman citizen by birth, you had this ability to appeal to the highest authority in the empire, to to Caesar. We have the status of being called children of God, and we can appeal to the highest authority in the universe, guys. We can appeal, we've got access into the throne room of the Father Himself. And um, tonight, as we take the communion, I'm just going to pray for us, as everybody got yet, not quite. Okay, we're getting there. The reason why why we take communion is it's to remember what Jesus has won for us. And I, I'm convinced that... If we really understood and had revelation of and knew what Jesus did for us on the cross and the authority that he has entrusted to us in this world um we would really change it <laughs> like i don 't think we realize that every day, but you know we're going we're going to pray for people this just now does everyone have communion now okay let's let 's quickly pray um and take the communion in remembrance of what of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So Father, we thank you, Lord, that um, that Lord that you've set us the example, God, of one who has ultimate authority, Lord, one who has ultimate power. And yet, Lord, even though we sinned against you, and even though we rebelled, Lord God, ag- against your authority, Lord Father. You chose not to destroy us with that power, but instead, Lord, to show us your love. And tonight, Lord God, as as we come to you, Father, we want to remember that. Jesus, we want to remember your sacrifice, Lord, and, and 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 what it means for us, God, that, that we are not condemned, Lord God, to punishment, Lord Father, but we were accepted, Lord, into the family of God. We are accepted as as children into your household Lord God we are accepted Lord God as as citizens of heaven Lord God the 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 kingdom Lord Father that'll stand forever Lord Father and we know kingdoms on this earth and positions on this earth and influence here passes away but God we've got we've got the ability to call you our father our eternal father and we want to thank you for that Jesus for for what you've done for us Lord and we we thank you for the bread, Lord, and the wine which represents your your body and, and your blood, Lord, that was spilt for us, Father, and for our sins so that we need not take this the, pu- the punishment, Lord God, Father, that we deserve. But thank you, Jesus, that you have already won, Lord God, for us, Lord, that you have already taken that punishment for us, Lord, and that we can now rejoice, Lord God, that it's not by our effort, Lord God, it's not how hard we believe, how much we try, how hard we work, but it's solely, Lord, by, by grace, Lord God, and by your sacrifice that we can come to you, Lord. And, you know, as we eat and drink, Lord, we remember that in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website, at www.shofar.jobu.com.